I'm so grateful for the way that God, God's word is living and active and the way it moves, even amongst those who've been studying it for a long time, that this word has power because it's God's word. And we're seeking to understand this life that we have in the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he came, he came proclaiming the kingdom of God. He said, repent and believe the gospel. And for everyone who does, we gain new life. We are born again and we get a citizenship in this kingdom. And so what we're studying this summer is we're, we're seeking to understand what are the promises of the kingdom of God. Now to do that, we're looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not commands, they're characteristics that describe life in the kingdom of God, but they have corresponding promises. And, and these promises become realized in as much as we are living like Christ, this life in the kingdom of, of, of God. Now, every one of these begins the same way with this word, blessed. This, this word in, in Greek is makarios. It means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness, fullness or wholeness, completeness from God. Uh, I heard this, this week um, that Makarios is also an island uh, off, of, off of Greece. And it's an interesting island in that it is completely self-sufficient. So no matter what's going on in the world, it doesn't need anything from the world. It's able to, to care for its own needs in and of itself. And so it is in Christ. We don't need anything from the world. We have everything that we need in Christ. He makes us whole. He makes us full. And that's what it is to be blessed. It is to have the fullness of God. And these, these blessings, these promises, they're, they're not just for the elite Christians. I'm going to say this week in, week out. These blessed qualities are true of all Christians. They're made actual in Christ. They're sought by all saints and they're partnered with promises. Now, again, none of us are ever going to live out these characteristics in the same way in which Christ did. We're, we're going to constantly struggle with temptation and the, and the works of the flesh. But in as much as we are living them out, we can enjoy the promises, this way of life in Christ. It's life in the kingdom of God. And, and it's important that we understand these characteristics and what the promises are, because they'll give us hope. Now today, today we're going to look at understanding what it is to be meek. Blessed are the meek. And there's a corresponding promise that I want you to see in, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Caroline's going to come and read for us at least verse 5, maybe verse 6. Depends on how she feels led. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Caroline, if you would read for us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Caroline. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the, the preaching of God's word. This whole idea of, of being meek, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the definition here, but one of the things we're doing in this series is we are, we're taking a character, a Bible character that will help us in, in understanding, bringing to light some of, 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 what, of, what this, of what this is. So here's what we're doing this week. We're going to use Moses. And we're doing that intentionally because there's, there are two people that are, that are said to be meek in the scriptures. And one of them is Moses, and of course the other is Jesus. And so it says in Numbers 12, 3, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So compared to all the people on the planet, Moses was the most meek. Jesus himself said this, 
This is Matthew eleven twenty nine, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put the length, a little bit of the of the the Greek up there because I want to make a point. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Now that word gentle is the Greek word praeis, and it is the same word for meek that is in uh, verse five. It's the same word. And so what he's, what he's talking about here is this meekness, this gentleness and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So, so what does it mean? What does it mean? I want to encourage you to write this down. You, you got hopefully a, a note sheet there in your bulletin. If not, I want to encourage you to take notes or at least take pictures and you can write these down later. But understand, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. It's tamed strength. When I was, when I was studying this, uh, this last week, I was looking through lectionaries. I was, I was studying the etymology of this word and taking different angles at it. I looked at some of the Septuagint, which is the, that's the Greek rendering of the Old Testament Hebrew. And, and this word, was, it's used several times, but I found out that it was used also in Greek in common language in another way. It's a unique way. And, and, and so I put this on the screen. The Greek word priais was often used to describe an animal that had been tamed to obey the command of its master. Isn't that interesting? It was used to, to describe a tamed animal. And, and, it, and I think that's powerful. That's what meekness is. It's tamed strength. We're strong, but it's tamed strength. It's, it's strength that's being utilized. You know, uh, I'm going to show my age here and I'm going to invite you to do the same. Uh, the, one of the best ways I can illustrate this is using the Lone Ranger. Um, now, just show of hands. Now, I, I'm just going to be honest. I, I didn't see the original. I'm not as old as I look, but I saw it on the afternoons on daycare when it rained. I watched that and, and uh, leave it to Beaver. How many of you have ever seen a sitcom, a television show, have ever seen the Lone Ranger? Let's see a few hands. A lot of old people here. That's great. That's good. So the Lone Ranger, it's a great, it's a great show. It's a great show. Um, so the Lone Ranger wasn't always lone. He actually was originally, the first episode, he was a part of a group of rangers who got ambushed. And they were all taken out, but he lone survives. He becomes the Lone Ranger. And he's, he's, he's in this canyon in a tough spot. And he knows he needs some help to get out of there. And he hears this, this wild horse. And so he thinks, man, this wild horse can get me, but I gotta, I gotta tame this wild horse. And so he does. And so this whole episode is about how the Lone Ranger joins up with his trusty horse, Silver. Now, how many of you can say what he used to say when, when, when the Lone Ranger would rear up and he, what he would say? He would say, Silver. Away. away. That's right. That's good. Man, we are a lot of old people in here. That's great. This makes me feel I'm very encouraged by this. My wife said no one would know this. I'm so glad to see this. So yeah. So yeah. So what he do is he, it, it's not that Silver lost its strength. It was tamed. It became a part of something that was bigger than itself. Just think about it. This horse was able to do all kinds of cool stuff because it was tamed. I mean, left on its own, it would just run around in canyons and, and, and goof off and waste its life. But under the Lone Ranger, wow. I mean, he's doing all kinds of cool stuff. And so it is for uh, those of us who are in Christ. We're born wild, wild in sin. But then by grace through faith in Christ alone, we're tamed. It's not that we're weak, we're strong. We're made in the image of God. We begin natural abilities. And when we're saved, we're given spiritual abilities. And these abilities are of great use to God in as much as we are trusting in Him. So, so to be a Christian is to be tamed. 
Now, now we know that the world is broken, and, and we understand that the world is not as it should be. God's design was harmony. It was perfect harmony, completeness. But we wrecked that with our sin. Sin has created brokenness. And so if you're in a difficult relationship right now, if you're seeing painful things, if you're, if you're experiencing a difficulty, understand that that comes from sin, from, from disobedience to God's will and way. And, and that always produces brokenness, but God does not abandon us in that pain. He does not abandon us in that brokenness. God has the power to heal. God has the power to make new. He can give new life. He can take what's dead and he can bring it to life because that's what God himself has done. Jesus Christ, the gospel tells us, God himself became one of us, lived a holy life, died to pay for our sin and has been raised and is now ruling. And now whoever will trust him, now to trust him, you gotta repent. You gotta stop relying on yourself. Repent from self-reliance and believe in who Jesus is and what he's done you can pursue and recover God's design. And God's design is meekness. It's forgiveness. It's new life. It's a living hope. It's a redeemed destiny. And, and that's, that's how the, the life of Christ is realized in meekness. So how can we get our arms and minds around this definition? I think Moses is a great help. So if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's go to Exodus 32. Very famous story uh, about Moses and Israel. Uh, the story, you'll see the heading there, uh, the golden calf. And it is here that we can get a handle on meekness because Moses reveals it. Three things I would encourage you to note. And the first one is this. Moses revealed meekness in his dependence on God in his dependence on God. Uh, let's, let's look at verse one of Exodus 32. Um, little background, uh, the, the children of Israel have been brought out of, out of Egypt. Moses has gone to get the Decalogue, the 10 commandments from God to tell the people how they are to live. And, and so when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not wear what has become of him. Understand, Moses is, is possibly one of, the, one of the most capable leaders to ever live. Uh, it's, it says at, at his birth, his own parents recognized great natural abilities that the daughter of Pharaoh recognized a beauty, a strength in, in his very demeanor and in, in his very um, makeup as, as, a, as an infant. But 40 years in Egypt, he was educated. He was taught to be a military leader, an economic leader. He, he was trained in leadership and, and he sinned and, 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 he, and, he, and he failed. But then for 40 years, he learned kindness and compassion and meekness as he served as a shepherd. So here is a very capable, kind leader, but notice what he's not doing. He's not going to the people and saying, hey, I've got the vision, I've got the plan, here's what we're gonna do, here are the laws, y'all do what I say. No, 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 what's he doing? He's saying, I gotta go talk to God. See, God is our commander. God is our leader. Moses was saying, I'm dependent upon God. The only reason we are where we are is because of the goodness of God. So Moses, he's not making his own country. He's not doing his own thing. Moses was completely dependent upon God, but not Israel. So what do they do? Well, they did what you have to do if the God of the Bible is not your God. And I say that to say to some of you, if the God of the Bible is not your God, what Israel did is what you're doing right now. So what did Israel do? Well, 
they decided to make up their own God. You've been made to worship. And you're going to worship something. And whatever you worship is going to define your life and give you hope. And you're, you're going to do this one way or the other. And so if the God of the Bible is not the God that you worship, you're going to have to create, you're going to have to create one or use a creature. So what did they do? They, of all things, though, a calf, really? That's a cool God. But I guess back in the day, that's how they rolled. And so they don't want to worship the one true God. So they want to they create their own God. And look what they do in verse 4. Look at, look at that quickly. Look what they did in verse 4. They start lying to themselves. And that's what you do when you don't worship the one true God. You have to make up a story that, that makes sense for the way you're choosing to live your life. Notice what they're saying. Hey, this golden calf, this is the one who led us out of Egypt. That's a direct contradiction of what they just said in verse 1. Moses, this one who led us out of Egypt. That's how quickly we start lying to ourselves. If the God of the Bible is not your God, you're always going to create a God that will justify the behavior you want to exhibit and experience and have. And that's what the children of Israel were doing, but not, not Moses. No, no, no. Moses, Moses, he, he, he loved God. He, he wanted to experience God. It says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, he is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he be, uh, beholds the form of the Lord. And he would be with the Lord, and the Lord would tell him what was true. He would determine his direction. He would define who it is he was. And, and Moses was glad to submit and live dependent upon God, just as Jesus was willing to be dependent upon the Father. Never forget, Jesus, the Almighty, from, from everlasting to everlasting, was tamed by flesh. And in the flesh, he chose to honor God. He happily said, this is John 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. He goes on to say in that same chapter in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus happily lived dependent upon the Father. Friends, you're living dependent upon something or someone. If it is not the God of the Bible, it's a created thing and it's going to fail you. It's going to allow you to be deceived. It will lie to you as sin does and ultimately it will cause you harm. Mom and dad, one of the most important things, grandparents, one of the most important things you can be doing for your children right now is teaching them to trust God and live dependent on him. They're going to live dependent on something. Do not encourage them to be dependent upon a created thing, something like a job or their looks or their health or, or sports or a hobby or, 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 or some other moniker in, in, in creation. Friends, do them a favor. Teach them to live dependent upon God. Moses was dependent upon God. Jesus was dependent upon the Father. That's what it is to be meek. Secondly, Moses revealed meekness in his concern for God. His concern for God. In verse 10, God makes Noah a very interesting offer. And, and in some ways, as I've, as I've thought about this this week, in some ways, I think it was God testing Moses' heart. It's a very similar testing that Jesus went through. Look in verse 10, what, what, God, what God wants to do, what, what, he, what, he, what he offers here. Verse 10, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. What's, what's God offering Moses? He said, look, those people don't want me, I'm taking them out. 
I'm going to turn them over to their sin. They can go in the desert. They can worship whatever they want. I'm going to take you, and now I'm going to raise up an entire nation through you. You're the man. You're going to be the one. And in his meekness, Moses, not concerned for himself, he was concerned for the name of God. Look what he says in verse 11. Look at his argument back to God. It's kind of funny. Verse 11 is, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? What does he say? You knew what you were getting into. You knew what we were when we were in bondage. You knew how difficult we would be. What are you doing? But then look at verse 12. He's concerned for God's name. He said, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses was concerned about what the Egyptians would say. He was concerned about God's integrity. He was concerned that they would say, you can't trust that God because that God will get you out there and take you out. He doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really love you. You can't rely on him. His steadfast love does not endure forever. That's, that's what the Egyptians would have said. And Moses was so concerned about God's reputation. He said, God, you can't do this. You can't do this. You, you, you've, 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 made a, you've made a promise. You've, you, you've said that, this is, that, that we will be your people. You've got to be concerned about your name. Jesus was concerned about the name of God, that it was recognized as holy. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had just been baptized. He was, he was taken out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. He prepared himself with a 40-day fast. One of the temptations that was brought to him is a temptation that the devil still offers many to us, although on a lower scale. He offered Jesus a crossless life. He offered Jesus what, what would seemingly be a sweeter deal. What he said was, look, Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, you can have the whole world. Now think about what he's offering there and think about what he's offering you. What he offered Jesus is what he was offering you. He was offering a world that was wrecked with sin. Power, I talk about these a lot. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. So, someone challenged me recently, said, these are not bad things. And, and I said, you know what? You're right. They're, they're not bad things unless they're wrecked with sin. Holy power, pleasure that's holy, possessions that are holy, uh, popularity that is holy, that honors God. Those are all good things. But what does the devil offer? He offers the world, but it's wrecked. It's wrecked with sin. He said, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms, Jesus. You can have the CEO. You can be the top dog. You can have all of it. But all of those kingdoms are going to remain in the kingdom of darkness. Remember, there are three kingdoms in the world. We've been talking about this all year. Kingdom of God, kingdom of humanity, kingdom of darkness. What, what the devil was saying was, you can have them all, but they will be in the kingdom of darkness forever. And he was offering a crossless death. What was he in essence saying is, we're not gonna call sin, sin anymore. If you'll bow down and worship me, people can do whatever they want to do. And we can go from debauchery to debauchery. And as every generation moves away further from, from God and any semblance of truth, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be whatever it's gonna be. And it can be all yours. Doesn't that just sound like a ridiculous offer when I say it that way? Because it was, and it is. 
What he was saying was, you don't have to die on the cross because we're not going to call sin, sin anymore. We're just going to call it normal. We're going to call it progressive reality. Jesus offers us something different. He offers us a life based on the cross. Remember what he said in Luke 9, 23? Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's Luke 9, 23. In order to have the life that God designed for us, we have to take up our cross. We have to die to our old self. and We have to be willing to follow in the way of Christ to the glory of the Father. There are so many people who want Jesus so long as it makes them comfortable and happy and popular and powerful. You know, one of the reasons why I struggled to become a Christian for so many years is because I was around so many of them. And, and the problem was I, knew I was, I knew I was bad. I mean, it, it didn't take a rocket science to, re to, to really make that case. But the people that were around me that claimed to be Christians, they were drinking what I was drinking and they were cussing like I was cussing. The only difference is, in my opinion, they were wasting a Sunday morning to be sleeping it off. Friends, please understand, if you call yourself a Christian and you're cursing and you're lying and you're mean and you're hateful and you're hurtful, you're not only dishonoring yourself, you're dishonoring the God you claim to worship. And Moses was concerned for the name of God. Jesus was concerned for the name of God. We must be wise. Friends, our world is going to, our name, where we, this, there is going to be more and more division. There is going to be more and more anger. There's going to be greater angst. There, there's going to be more aggressive behavior. How does Jesus tell us to deal with this? This is Matthew 10, 16. Here's how we deal with this. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep. What's he saying? You're going to be meek. I'm sending out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do you ever feel like a sheep amongst the wolves? It doesn't take me a whole lot of imagination to, to let that imagery be true. So what are we supposed to do? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Friends, we got to be wise. We got to think through the words we're using. We got to think through our attitude. We got to be wise. We got to be innocent. We can't have malice in our hearts. We can't have hatred towards people. Remember, our problem is not people. Our battle is not against other people. Our battle is not political. Our, our battle is not, is not simply ideological in the sense that we're arguing with, with other ideas. Our issue, well, let me let the Bible speak for the Bible. This is Ephesians chapter 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cos cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, look at that, to stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in meekness and wisdom and kindness and compassion in the, in the honor of God. Friends, the way you treat people at school and at work and in your neighborhood, the, the words you use and the lifestyle you choose, it's either honoring God or it's not. Either you're concerned for his name as Moses and Jesus was, or you're not. 
The meek are concerned for his name. And the meek, third. Third thing Moses revealed, meekness. Meekness in his faith in God. Again, Moses had a very firm object of faith. And that object of his faith was in the promise-keeping, promise-giving God. Look, look what, why Moses believed. Look, what he, look at the basis of his argument for his belief in verse 13. He, he said, you can't take them out. I can't be the new one because you made a promise. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. This is what Israel trusted God for. Their faith was, was in God and his promise. And what Jesus has done for us is he's provided redemption because of the covenant promise of God. This is Hebrews 12 two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the object of our faith. He is the author of our faith. Christianity is not some idea that, or philosophy that was made up. Christianity is based on a person, a historical fact of reality. God became flesh. He died and has been raised. That is our faith. We believe in a living Savior. And this Savior has come to make a new covenant. It says in Hebrews 7, verse 19, a, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope. How do we draw near to God? Well, it is, it's, and, it was, and it, is, it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. All that means is that Jesus has come to provide the object of our faith, which is the covenant of grace. Every, every second Sunday, we receive the Lord's Supper. And, and every time we're about to receive the juice, I quote Matthew. Think about what I say. I'm going to see if you can fill in the blank. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Christ has brought the new covenant and the new covenant in his blood. By the shedding of his blood, he provides salvation. By the shedding of his blood, we have an object of faith. Our faith is in the Savior who died to pay the penalty for our sin. And because he is raised and is alive, he now lives in us and he lords over us and he gives us life under his leadership. And with him comes the reward of the inheritance. The inheritance blessing. Write down and remember this. The inheritance of the meek is eternal. It's eternal. Look at, this is amazing. Look at the last part of verse 13. All this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. The promised land was the inheritance that was going to go to the children of Israel that pointed to the ultimate inheritance that was going to come through Jesus Christ. Remember this about an inheritance. It's an unearned gift. An, un, an inheritance is, is gained. It's given. It's unearned provision. God has offered the meek in Christ 
a great inheritance. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. This is where we get our namesake, by the way. Blessed be the Father, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, an unearned provision that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's, a, it's an inheritance that's coming to us. Just as Israel was looking forward to the promised land, so we are now looking forward to heaven. And so you not understand Moses was too. Moses was looking forward to more than just the promised land. He was looking forward to heaven. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward what is the reward? The reward is heaven. The reward is the eternal bliss of, of God and being in his presence. Uh, let me challenge you today to go back and read the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Let me read for you real quick, verses 12 through 14 out of Revelation 22. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed, three things here. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Those are the ones who've been made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ so that they may have the right to the tree of life. We will have access to the fruit that will make us eternally gods in his presence. That covenant has done that when we were washed. Now we are going to have access to the fruit of the garden of God. More than that. And they, that they may enter the city by the gates. We're not sneaking in. We're not trying to barter our way in. We're not going to say, hey, let, let me tell you how much money I gave. Hey, let me tell you the good things I did. No, no, no. We enter by the gates. Having been covered by the righteousness of Christ, we are going to be able to enter into heaven and enjoy the benefit and blessing of being God's people forever. This is the inheritance of the meek. Friends, is this your inheritance? Or are you settling for something cheap? I love the way C.S. Lewis described it. He said, you can, you can play mud in the mud hole or you can dance in the ocean. God is offering us the eternal bliss of a glorious, clean place in his presence. Oh, friends, do not walk away from this great, great offer. Do not walk away from this life and realize this life, it's, it's a rewarded life that comes with challenges. Let me speak to you Christians real quick before we go. If your life in Christ is boring, you're doing something wrong. God did not call you to sit the bench and complain about the programs and, and you know, rate the service. God called you to adventure. Think about silver. Think about where the Lone Ranger took that, that horse. I mean, he had that thing running on a train one time. 
He had it jumping off cliffs. He had it going all kinds of crazy places. Friends, Jesus didn't save you to sit around and do nothing. He saved you for an adventure. Now here's the thing, it's scary. Adventures are scary. You say, well, yes, I wanna go on an adventure with God, let's go. All right, start tithing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not high O silver away, whoa. Start praying without ceasing. Start being kind to your enemies, praying for them. Start, start being bold in your love, inviting people to your home and telling them about their faith and listening to their faith because they have one. Discussing truth. What is the truth? What does God's word say? Being a light. Friends, have an adventure. You say, well, I don't know where to start. Hey, go, go serve in the preschool ministry. You want an adventure. <laughs> go, go serve in the middle, with middle schoolers. They, 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 don't, they do not lie. They'll look at you and say, what you're wearing is ridiculous. You need to go home and change. You got to have firm confidence to mess with middle schoolers. I'm going to tell you right now. Find a ministry in this church. Go out in the community in the name of Jesus to honor his name and be his people and seek the reward. Now, I know some of you can't do that because you're not tamed. You're wild. You're living in sin. You need to repent and you need to give your life to Jesus today. Some of you, you've, you've been saved, but let's be honest, you're not honoring God. You're living in fear, you're living in sin, you're embarrassing him and yourself and you need to repent and go on an adventure and do something great for the glory of God that will, that will transform your, your, your own soul and be a blessing to the world. It takes faith. It takes meekness. Trust him. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would, come forward. I'm gonna pray and then I wanna invite you to come and talk with one of these leaders or come and pray just as we sing about, about what it means to be blessed. Let's pray together now. Lord, you are a great and mighty God and you, you, <laughs> you provide for us not only salvation, but a great adventure. And Lord, I pray for some who are here today who, who need to be tamed. They need to give their, their life to you and they need to be transformed by your power. And I pray that they will. God, I pray for some who claim you as savior, uh, but they don't live as though you are Lord. And I pray today they'll repent of that and they will seek to, to live their faith and to honor you, Lord depending on you, following you. You're a great God who blesses those who believe. You bless the meek. So God, change us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.